just want to give you this opportunity. If you weren't here uh, this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, if you weren't online this this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give. We're always so thankful uh, for your giving. Shared some things uh, this morning that uh, really are continue to go on and are able to go on because of your generosity. And so we're so uh, grateful for that. I want to give you an opportunity to give a number of ways to give. You can give by text. You can give by uh, online. You can mail it in. Uh, and also, if you're giving by tax or by cash or debit or credit card tonight, if you raise your hand, the ushers will give you an envelope. And uh, praise the Lord. Our giving is that time of worship. I, I like that, that while we were giving praise to God, uh, giving went up on the screen. And, uh, you know, it might have been an accident, but it's no accident because sometimes we just think that giving, the bucket goes by, this is a time, and we get real casual about our giving. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny how we can get casual about our giving. At the same time, when somebody starts talking about money, we get real tense. So how can we just get casual about it yet all of a sudden go, oh, don't talk about money? See, we know the importance, but we get casual about it. But it, it actually, in giving, is worship to God. And it's that understanding that we have a covenant with God. And in that covenant, when we accepted what Jesus did for us, we said, you know what? He gave all of his life. He gave all that he was, and he gave all that he had for us. When we accepted that, we said, we're going to give all that we have. We're going to give all that we are to you, and we're going to enter into a covenant, a blood covenant that is, is everything. It's our life together. And so when we bring our tithes and our offering, it's just one-tenth of our increase. But God says in acknowledging that one-tenth, you are acknowledging the covenant that we have. That's really not yours, it's mine. And so when you acknowledge that, I open up the windows of heaven. And when you acknowledge everything that you have belongs to me, I open up the windows and have pour out everything that I have for you. And so our giving is, a, is really a wonderful time of worship and should be a great celebration, right, of what God has blessed us with, a recognition of everything that God has blessed us with. And so uh, we appreciate your giving. And uh, if you're here and and as you go, there's uh, receptacles, boxes on either side of the foyer and right here by the doors on your way out. And uh, we are thankful. I just declare over you what we did this morning. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Glory to God. God's not limited to bless you just financially, but God will bless you in every single way. Amen. Open your Bibles with me for a moment to Ephesians, the second chapter. You know, I thought Pastor Tasha did such a great job when she greeted you this morning. You know, it's Valentine's Day, and uh, she read a number of scriptures about love. And sometimes we miss this because we're moving through life, and we just kind of put our head down and, and get through life. Even as believers, we'll just kind of put our head down and try to do what's right and struggle through life. But really, we celebrate uh, every single day. We should celebrate the greatest love story that's ever been written. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You know, some people want to get romance novels, and they get all worked up about love stories. And certainly, you know, I grew up in a house full of women, so I've seen every Cinderella story. I've seen almost every romantic comedy uh, that's clean that you can see. And so, you know, you sit down. I don't care which one they produce. It's going to be a love story about how, how a couple of people get together. Then they have their trials, and they get apart. And somehow they figure out being apart is no good, and so they get back together. And man, God created us to be together with us. And man thought the world was better and he went away. And God couldn't stand it. He just chased after us so much because he loved us. 
Jesus came and shed his blood, gave his whole life so that we could be reconciled back to God and enjoy that loving relationship that he intended from the very beginning. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible. It just really explains it. And when we talk about redemption, we started a couple weeks ago. And for many of you, you know the story of redemption. You've been in Bible school. You've talked about it. But as Peter uh, wrote in his letter, talking about you know uh, the life that we have, the knowledge of God, what it provides for us, a, a great entrance into the kingdom of God. He said, because of this, because I've just told you that there's a great entrance into the kingdom of God, I will never stop reminding you of these things. Though you know them, you're established in them. He said, I, I find it necessary because someday I won't be with you and you need to be reminded so that you can keep walking in this great life that God has for you. And so redemption, really the story of redemption is a great love story. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and your sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world. You were under the sway of the tendencies of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. So listen, you were fallen in love or infatuation with something that looked better. You were just following after the world, and it was dictated by something that was much more powerful than you ever knew. And he says, you were, obe you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted uh, ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts and the mind, our cravings dictated by our sense, our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God. Uh, but God. And sin took us away from God. We were following after it. And when we didn't know him, we thought, you know what? This is, this is really cool. This life is really something. This is really great. But all of a sudden, we found out, you know what? It's leading to something that doesn't satisfy. It's something that doesn't fulfill but God. So rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself and the same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Come on in a nutshell and he goes on. It's a story of redemption to understand that Christ has redeemed us. He's brought us near unto God. That, that word redeem means to uh, bring back to a right relationship, to purchase back, to buy back, to ransom our life. And so we were a slave of sin, and God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price to ransom us back to God. Turn over to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and we'll start in the 12th verse. It 
says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, the sprinkling, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal, through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's something so powerful about the blood when we talk about redemption. And it is that blood of Jesus Christ when we talk about redemption, that purchased price. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's that uh, the blood is that legal tender in heaven. When you're talking about the most valuable thing in all the world, it was the blood of Jesus, the representation of his life being poured out for us. And if the innocent life of blood and bulls and goats were, and the sprinkling upon it uh, once a year was able to cleanse uh, things of the flesh for one year, how much more the blood of Jesus for the purifying of our hearts. He goes on to say that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. You know, sometimes we get into a fix and we start talking about things. We start really murmuring. We start complaining. We start crying out to God. We start yelling and screaming about our situation. But listen, if you want to get heaven's attention, there's a few things that totally get heaven's attention. And the blood of Jesus, to talk about the blood of Jesus and to begin to be thankful for the blood of Jesus. There's an old hymn. There's an old gospel song that all heaven stands at attention at the mention of his name. All heaven stands at attention when we mention the blood of Jesus because God gave Jesus. He gave everything that he had in Jesus and poured out his life for us. And when we begin to acknowledge that he gave his life, he shed his blood, heaven stands at attention. Heaven goes to work to execute and to bring to pass for you and me what the blood of Jesus purchased for you. Come on, we begin to speak the word of God, not the words of men, and just uh, casually talk about what's going on in our life or complain about what's going on in our life, but we talk about the word of God. Jesus said, or God said, I watch over my word to bring it to pass. When you start to talk about the word of God, angels start to go into motion to bring it to pass because he's watching over his word to perform it. The blood of Jesus is sprinkled right before him. That's where we meet with God at the mercy seat where mercy triumphs over judgment. It's that place where the blood of Jesus is sprinkled right now right now it might have been sprinkled 2,000 years ago but right now in that place in the throne room of God at that mercy seat in heaven there's not the blood of bulls and goats on that mercy seat there's the blood of the spotless lamb of God and it's sprinkled right there and the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but because of what Jesus did we're reconciled back to God and we meet him at that place where mercy his mercy has triumphed over judgment we all deserve judgment we all have fallen short of the glory glory of God but God in his infinite mercy sent Jesus to die for us and his blood is sprinkled right there and sometimes we forget that and we 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 begin to wonder why our life is is turning out the way that it is but we let the the idea and the understanding that we are the redeemed of the Lord move back to the back of our thinking instead of keeping it in the forefront of our thinking every day saying I am the redeemed of the Lord the Bible says let the redeemed of the Lord say so when you look in the mirror every morning to look in the mirror and say you are the redeemed of the Lord 
to get it down on the inside of us what being the redeemed of the Lord means, that our life is no longer our own, but we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Come on, the day that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, the moment that you stepped up there and said, I I accept what you've done. I believe that you died for my sins, that God raised you from the dead so that I could be justified. I could be made righteous and enter into a relationship with you. You said, I accept the price that was paid. I accept the fact that I am no longer my own to make my own decisions, but you are the master of my life. And so we must remember that we are redeemed. We've been purchased. And the awesome thing about being purchased by God is he said, I purchased your life, but it's up to you. It's up to you to believe. It's up to you to obey. It's up to you to participate in the things that I've purchased for you, but never devalue them. You don't have to participate, but don't devalue them because they're the most precious things in all of the world to God and to you. Your healing is holy to God. Come on, people talk about healing has passed away and miracles have passed away. Why would they? They're holy to God. Jesus lived his life in the four gospels that we read about. And time and time again, you begin to see that they got upset with Jesus. Time and time and time again, they got upset with Jesus. Why? Because he was healing on the Sabbath day. He was healing on the Sabbath day. Well, Why would they get upset because he's healing on the Sabbath day? Because they continually saw the work of healing as the job of the doctor. And you couldn't do the natural work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus knew that. So why did he keep healing on the Sabbath day? Because he wasn't working something of the flesh. He wasn't just a physician doing his job. He was declaring that you can perform what is holy on the Sabbath day. And healing is holy to God. And he was going to show that forth because he was going to lay over that whipping post and he was going to shed blood. And the word declared already in Isaiah that by his stripes we were healed. That the blood that he poured out over that whipping post to redeem you from sickness and disease is holy to God. That the forgiveness of your sin is so holy to God. It's not something that's casual. It's not something to be taken lightly to go, thank you, God, for forgiving me. I think I'll go ahead and sin again tomorrow. If we're not careful, that's what 1 John 1, 9 becomes to us. It's just when we feel guilty and we feel remorse in a moment, we, we know we messed up. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to work with us. And we're like, I messed up. I need to run in and, and give a 1 John 1, 9. I know I sinned. God, forgive me. But by the time we wake up tomorrow, we're ready to get into that. He says, no, the blood is so holy, don't take it for granted. That when you come in and confess your sin, I am faithful and I'm just to forgive you. And because of my blood, I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And to understand that when we confess our sin, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That we are cleansed. We don't have to go back to that tomorrow. We think, well, that's just what I do. The enemy says, this is just what you do. No, I've been cleansed of that. But see, sometimes we don't take this scripture in Hebrews as literally, he said, let that blood, that, that blood of the everlasting covenant, let that blood wash over and cleanse your thinking, your thought life, your understanding of all the dead works that you've had. Let the blood of Jesus and the understanding of it wash over us to know, listen, I don't have to go back to that tomorrow. The blood has made me free. 
Because the blood is full of power. The blood is full of substance. It has paid the price already. Not going to pay the price. God didn't want you and I to pay the price. He paid the price for sin so that you and I could be free. He redeemed us. There was a price on it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was a ransom. It was a price. Sin captivated us, took us into slavery of sin. And he said, there's only one way you can get out of that. By the blood of Jesus. It's the only price. You can't work good enough. You can't talk good enough. You can't live good enough to get out of that situation. There's only one way, and it's the ransom that he gave for many. You've been redeemed unto God been redeemed unto God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I like Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, there's not one thing in me that the blood doesn't cleanse. There is not one thing in me that the blood does not cleanse. It's your faith in Jesus. It's your faith in what the blood of Jesus has done for you. It's that faith in that that will always put you over the top. When you think you can't make it, if you begin to study and you begin to realize and you begin to confess what the blood of Jesus has done and you put your faith in what Jesus has done, not what you're going to be able to do, not how you can work your way out of it, but what he's already done for you, that's the thing, the faith in the blood of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that will put you over the top. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul writing the Corinthians said this, he said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross doesn't make sense to those who don't know Jesus, but the message of the cross is the center of everything. The message of Jesus going and paying the penalty for our sin and dying and raising from the dead is the message of everything. That your old man has passed away and that there's a new man available to you, a newness of life that is available to you. There's a newness of life that's available to me. Too often as Christians, we're just waking up and going to work and coming home and eating and going to bed, and there's just something that's not stirring in life. We're just walking around just like everybody else. We're just like living dead. We're just walking around like zombies in life. God has much more than that, than just waking up, going to work, coming home, eating, going to bed, waking up, doing it over and over and over again. God has something more. He has eternal life for us. He's got something more than trying to douse all the things that come against us with with, uh, addictions and abuse and worry and stress. He has something much greater for us, and he has already purchased it by the blood of Jesus. He's already redeemed your life and pulled you out of that situation of life. You're no longer the walking dead, but you're alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So the preaching of the cross could become boring to anybody. As you're walking away from it. But when you know what the cross did, it is the power of God. 
When I remember the cross, it's power to get up every day and know that there's a purpose for my life. When I remember the teaching of the cross, it's what I know that I remember that he died for my sins. So even if I've made mistakes, I don't live in the guilt and shame of that. But I'm allowed to be washed by the blood because of the cross. And so it empowers me not to fall back into sin, but to resist sin and walk in righteousness. For us who are believers, it is the power of God. It's the thing that gives us hope of tomorrow and the future and eternal life. It's the message of the cross that lets us know that because he died and raised from the dead, we now live with him in eternal life. And as Romans says, sin no longer has dominion over us. Even believers are walking around every day saying, I can't help it. I can't help it. Uh, you know what? I know I'm, I'm angry, but I can't help it. I know I'm addicted, but I can't help it. I know I'm, I, I'm worrisome, but I can't help it. But you can help it. That's a lie of the enemy. We can help it. Sin and all of its sources should not be dominating our life. God created us to have dominion. That's what he did. Come on, to reign in life, to reign over those things, to take authority over them, to subdue them, to bring them into subjection. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says, "Having uh, we're jumping into something here. Uh, all right, we'll just start in verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. If you're looking at this, you might underline blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Because we're going to get to something that God redeemed us from and what he could redeem us to. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So listen, he gave his life that we might be ransomed, that we might be forgiven, redeemed, and have forgiveness by his blood. To realize that when he shed his blood, he paid the price, he broke the power of sin, and he brought us into a relationship with God. The, most clo the closest, most intimate relationship that exists in a human being's life is the Christian relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not afar off somewhere. You know, when Paul was, was there in, in Athens, uh, he was sitting and he was conversing uh, with the scholars of the day and those who worshiped the Greek gods. And, and uh, you know, you read that in the book of Acts and you know, he, he took a, uh, something that they knew uh, uh, of poetry in that day, but he's sitting there and, uh, on, on Mars Hill 
And if you've ever been to Athens, Greece, you understand it if you just read it. I read it for a number of years and thought, you know, he's just talking about that. And he comes up with that. He says, you know, I, pre I perceive that you all are religious. And I've, I've seen that, that altar or that stone to the unknown God. But I declare to you that one that you don't know, it's in him that we live, in him that we move, and in him that we have our being. So you can read that, but, you know, we went to Athens, and, and uh, we walked up to Mars Hill, and while I was standing on Mars Hill, you know, I'm remembering that scripture, I'm, I'm kind of going through in my mind, and we're standing on Mars Hill, and I just take a moment to look around. And while you're on Mars Hill, you look around, and there's the Acropolis. It was, I don't believe it was the debate that they were having or the conversation while they're sitting up there and talking about it. Paul is looking at all of the Acropolis and all of the, the monuments to the gods, uh, the Grecian gods, all the temples to the Grecian gods, and he's like, hmm, I perceive that you are religious. It's not like rocket science. He's like, wow, you got, you got temples to, to Athena, you got temples to, to Zeus, you got temples to everybody. And then over here, you got this little thing to the unknown God. But I'm telling you, you've raised up a bunch of idols to gods that you know that are your idols, that are your God. But I'm telling you, that one right there, that God is the one in whom we live and we move and we have our very being. He said, that God isn't out there somewhere looking over you. There, he says, he's come to live on the inside of you. There's nothing more intimate than him being in us and us being in him. So we talk about that, we think, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, but it escapes us so many times, the depth and the intimacy of the relationship that he's made for us through his own blood, that when he broke the power of sin, it was that sin, it was that disobedience of Adam, it's our disobedience to him that puts us afar off, it puts a distance between us. Why is it? Because we're disobeying, we're going our own way. When we go God's way because he knows best, he envelops us. You know, if you're a parent and your child, you know, becomes a teenager or whatever, and they think, you know what, I'm old enough, and, and you might have taught me right from wrong, but I'm going my own way. You can realize the heart of God. You're not driving them away. You're not pushing them away. You've instructed them because you want them to prosper. You want them to be healthy. You want to be enveloped in the family relationship and the close-knitness of that that grows and creates generations and all that, and they go their own way. And like it or not, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you pray for them every day, no matter how much you can go through the photos and remember how close we were when you were little, they're going their own way, and it creates a separation. But thank God, he's always working with them. I just want to encourage you, he's working with them. But the day that they come back and they say, you know what? I was wrong. And you start to come back into that relationship. You feel like, wow, I'm so glad we're back in that relationship. I'm so glad that we're united. And that's just a glimmer because that can't get even close enough to what God has done for us. When we went away, he embraced us and he said, listen, I don't ever want you to go away again. So I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to envelop you in myself. He said, I'm going to try to wrap you so close that I'm going to put you in my heart, a place where you can never get out again. <laughs> that you can never go away from me again. That even though you make mistakes and even though you think you're going to go your own way, there's a connection and intimacy that will always bring you back to me. Come on, that's redemption. That's redemption. Not walking away and making our own decision and going, well, I might as well just keep walking because I'll never, I'll never be good again. I, I fall under that condemnation. No, once we know him, we're like, man, why did I do that? I don't want my way. I've already been there. I want your way. 
We come back, and the blood cleanses us. And instead of guilt and shame, we start to experience just anew, just in a moment's time, that intimacy once again. But you have to know it. You have to embrace it. You have to have faith in the blood, that the blood could do that, that it overrides your mistake, that mercy triumphs over the judgment that you know you deserve because even yesterday you said, I'll never do it, but then today I did it. You say, God, I want to stop it. And I know the blood is the only thing that will wash me and give me the power to get to tomorrow and overcome it. It's a dynamic place for us to be. It's a dynamic place for us to be. So that word redemption means this. It means to buy back, to bring us back into that rightful position. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1. If we're really going to understand redemption, to be bought back, to be ransomed back, we have to understand how God created us from the very beginning so that we know he's not just forgiving us to live the same kind of life. He's not just, we're not just coming to church to kind of fulfill a requirement, but we're learning about redemption. We're learning about what Jesus has done for us so that we can come to that place of relationship and be restored to right relationship. Not to the relationship that we designed, but the relationship that he designed. That we can be restored to how he created us to be. You see, the sin in our life, the sin that, that we've allowed into our life, certainly the sin of Adam kept us away from God. But even we as believers, when we've come to know Jesus, we've made him the Lord of our life. But we don't fully understand that. We begin to go our own direction. When we begin to live in that and begin to, to, to walk in that again, we're not recognizable as the people that he created us to be. Sin distorts who God created you to be. Have you ever known somebody who, who they were serving God or, 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 again, your children or somebody in your family, and you're walking together, you're walking together in harmony, you're laughing together, you're, you're loving together, you recreate together, you're doing stuff together, and all of a sudden they just decide, I want to go a different way. I want to hang out with a different group of people. I want to do a different thing. They start hanging out, and all of a sudden they come back and they talk it's like they're talking a different language. They believe something totally different. And you look at them, and certainly their features look the same. Sometimes they don't. They go off. You know, they used to wear uh, hipster clothes, and then they start hanging out with cowboys, and they wear a cowboy hat. And you're like, wow, you look different. Um, <laughs> but other than that, they come back, and they start talking, and you're like, who are you? You ever said that to anybody like, or thought that? Who are you? You're not even the same person that I knew. See, that's what sin does to us. We start to go off and we come back and God's like, come on now. You don't look like the person who I redeemed you to be. Thank God he's not like us. He doesn't like, who are you? He just says, I know who you are. And this is not who I created you to be. This is not who I created you to be. And so we have to understand that though, though we don't see it, see it's subtle. It takes, takes your parents, it takes your friends to say, what's going on? Where have you been? Who have you been hanging around with? This is not even who you, who you are. This is not who you have become. This is not how you walked in life. These are not the things you said you wanted in life. These are not the things you said that you dreamt about. What happened? How did you get away from all those? And we see that and we know that, but we don't see that about ourselves when we begin to go in the course of this world, when we're drawn away from the body, when we're drawn away from that fellowship with God, we walk away and things start to change. And when we come back, God's like, you're not the person that I created you to be. 
But when we recognize that and we say, you know what, I'm not that person. I'm not fulfilling the dreams. I'm not, I'm not feeling the fullness and the fulfillment that I do when I'm with you. Forgive me. And he goes, I'll wash you and cleanse you. And all of a sudden, he washes away that person that you were never meant to be. And he restores you to the person he created you to be. That's the essence of redemption and who we are. And so in Genesis chapter 1, he gives us this glimpse in verse 27. And I know this may seem very basic to many of you, but I just want to go over this. I want to stir our hearts. I believe that this year, if we can really remember and get a hold of and put in the forefront of our thinking that we are the redeemed of the Lord. The blood of Jesus is something that is very, very powerful. That that blood of Jesus is something that we come back to that mercy seat until we overcome those things that continually beset us. As, As he said in running our race in Hebrews chapter 12, that we keep coming back. Those sins that easily beset us, those lusts, those desires, that when we go, I'm coming for God, when we pray in our personal prayer time and go, God, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. When I say, here am I, God, use me for this moment. And then all of a sudden down the road a week later, we find ourselves doing the same old thing that we realize that we don't have to run away. We come to that mercy seat and we say, God, I know the blood of Jesus right here. I'm not coming to you on the basis of how bad I've been or how good I've been, but I've come to say I've left you, I've disobeyed you, and I'm coming to this place where the blood was shed so I can be forgiven and restored and come back into that right relationship, that there might be restoration for me, restoration. So look at this in verse 27. It says, so God created man. Earlier in this, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. So let's look at this from the very beginning. God created us in his own image. When he redeemed us, he bought us or ransomed us back to this place where he created us in his own image. He created us spirit, soul, and body. But when he created us spirit, soul, and body, when man was in fellowship with him, the dominant part of man was the spirit of man. The the part that is in fellowship and intimacy with God was not the body of man, was not the mind or the soul, the will, the emotions of man, but it was the spirit of man. Spirit, soul, and body. So he said, let us create man in our image. And when, we, when man sinned, that spirit life was broken. The connection of the relationship with God was broken. Man took a, a moment to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and rather than being led by his spirit in obedience to God, he decided by his soul, I'll figure out what's best for me in this moment. And he decided in that moment, he said, I'll let my soul dominate me. And the moment he did, he sinned, and the spirit life was broken, and he had to live by the domination of his soul, what he could figure out, what he could feel, and, and the flesh began to dominate and pull him by desires and lusts and he could not control it but when we were redeemed God's spirit came to live in our spirit and that spirit life of God that image that impression of God was brought into our spirit 
That's why the Apostle Paul said to church after church, he said, put off the old man that is separate, the image of God that is in your mind and in your feelings. He said, put that off and put on the new man, which was, is recreated or created in the likeness and the image of him who created him. In other words, we look around at each other, we look around at people, and we've had experiences with them, and we say, I know you. I know what kind of person you are. I know what you do because we've emoted with one another. We've intellectually looked at things that other people were doing. But Paul said, even though we've known people after the flesh, we no longer, and even known Jesus after the flesh, we no longer know them after the flesh because any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, everything has become new and now everything is of God who has reconciled him to himself. So no matter how good I know Jerry, and I know his mistakes, and I know the things that he might have done, I no longer know Jerry after the flesh. I no longer, it'll be much more beneficial for me not to look and go, I know Jerry, and just recognize him after the flesh. And I know how he was, and I know his actions, and I know some things that he's done that made me feel not too good, and all that stuff. No, I no longer know him that way. I have an image of Jerry. I have an image of what Jerry does. I know what he does for a job and all that stuff. But if I'll search down on the inside, there's a different image of Jerry, Christ working in him. And so when I see that image of Jerry, and here's this image of what I know in the flesh, but here's this image of what I know in the spirit. Sorry, I'll get away from that speaker so it doesn't get all funky. And this is what we do. We, we start to look and we say, I know you. I grew up with you. You know, it's amazing. We live in this valley and it's small and some of you know this, and I'm always amazed by it. I didn't grow up here. But you'll be here, and all of a sudden, you know, in the foyer, somebody will go, you go to church here? And the other person's like, well, you go to church here? And I know in that moment of looking like, y'all didn't know each other as Christians, did you? Because <laughs> of the shock look on your face, like, whoa, you go to church? And here, of all places... Why? Because we know each other after the flesh. But all of a sudden, you see, you're talking and you're conversing. And you're like, yeah, me too, me too, me too. And that image of who you used to be changes when we begin to see each other in Christ. And in that, there's a hope that, you know what? I see glimmers of that. I see reflections. I see God chipping away those old things. You're, you're like that lump. We used to just know each other. You're just this lump of clay. But the Spirit of God's chipping stuff away. And what he's chipping away is all those lumps and those bumps. And he's all of a sudden bringing this sculpture that we see is the image of Christ. He's changing us from one degree of glory to the next. Even as by the Spirit of God, there's this image that is in our spirit man. And that's how we were created. God gave us the image of him and his likeness. And Adam and Eve were to be walking and saying, we look like God. We have everything that God has created. He's breathed his life in us. We look like his kids. And in a moment's time, boom, they looked at each other and said, who are you? We better run and hide. Why? Because they didn't look like the person that they looked like before that. And we'll get to that in, in, in next, probably next week. But listen, they, they, they were in that place. They were living in the glory of God. And when they sinned, something immediately happened that they said, we got to go cover ourselves." Before that, they knew we're in the image of God. They saw a totally different image that was not right, that they thought needed to be hidden. Even as Christians, when we sin, all of a sudden we lose that image of the glory of God in our life, and we begin to hide ourselves. We begin to stay away from church. We begin to feel, oh, somebody's going to judge me, and we start to back off. But God says, don't do that. 
Understand the blood has redeemed you and step forward to the mercy seat and say, I messed this up, but I don't want that old man image anymore. I want to continue to become more and more like you. All right, so he created us in, in three parts. I better hurry up. Uh, in his likeness in his image, spirit, soul, and body. Listen to this. He blessed them. They were created in his image and his likeness. He commanded blessing upon them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Come on, God created you to be productive. God created us to be productive. He wants that. He declared when he blessed them, in Deuteronomy, he said, listen, I'll bless you, and everything you set your hand to will prosper. Everything you set your hand to will prosper. God said, I want you to be a productive people. I want you thinking. I want you growing. I want you establishing. I want that there. And the devil tried to rob you and say, you know what? Just do a nine-to-fiver. Do what you can. Just make her till you get by. Retire. Do whatever. You were created that way. You were created to be productive, to find things to set your hand to, that God blesses them, and they grow, and they're fruitful, and they're multiplying. Don't let the devil steal from you. The multiplication that God has planned. He's brought you back to the blessing of multiplication. He just has. Because he redeemed your life. He ransomed you back home. He ransomed you back to the way that he created you to be. He wants you to be fruitful and multiply. Whatever you set your hand to, to prosper. You say, well, I don't know if that's what that means. I think this means that we're supposed to have more kids. Well, praise the Lord, have more kids. But also what we have to understand is he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. And he wants you to have spiritual children. In other words, the people that you work around, the people that you see out there that you think, you know what, I don't think they'd ever want to know God. God says, I've called you to multiply yourself. I've called you to go show them me so that they can start to see, wow, that's more of what I should be than what I am. We begin to grow and multiply the kingdom of God because we are causing people to be born again. We're called to be fruitful and multiply. Come on, he's ransomed us back to that. It says, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. When he says, no, we're supposed to be in his likeness, in his image. We're supposed to live a blessed life. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. We are not supposed to come under the subjection of anything. But we are sub to subdue situations of life. We are supposed to grab a hold of situations of life and make them come into line with the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, Though we're in this world, we're not of this world, or the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every thought and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into subjection or captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, it's that thought realm. It's that place that the enemy, even at the beginning, he tries to bring you into subjection to thoughts, to the course of this world, to ideologies, the course of this world, to bring you into subjection. But he said, listen, I've created you to subdue every thought and everything that would try to come against the very cause and obedience of Christ. So how do I do that? You understand what the blood of Jesus did for us. It ransomed me from that back to this original state where God has blessed me to subdue 
the things in the earth that would come against me to subject me to those things, I subdue them and subject them to God's plan for my life. See, there's some things that really prosperity is one. There's just different things that will come. And if you yield to them, they will bring you under subjection to them. But actually, when you subdue them, they are a tool for you doing the will of God. And in redemption, we recognize that. Listen, money, we've heard this all over. Money can have you or you can have money. Relationships can have you or you can have relationships. It's just a matter of understanding how we subdue things. There's so many things in our life that will either bring us into subjection to them or we grab them and bring them under subjection, not to us, but to the obedience of Christ in the earth so that we can get the will of God done. He goes on and says that you have dominion in the earth, that sin should no longer have dominion over us. As Romans 5 says, if we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we should reign in life. We should reign as kings in life. Revelation chapter 5, they begin to sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scrolls to open the seals thereof. Right? For you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And you have made us to be kings and priests unto our God. Kings and priests, those who represent Man to God and God to man, those kings who rule and reign and have authority. God says, I want you to be a people who, uh, who have a relationship with me and that reign over life. God never intended for us to be dominated by the things of life and sin to dominate our life. He never created us that way. So he paid the price to ransom us out of that slavery and bring us over into the original intent where we have dominion and we reign. We are not reigned over by sin. It's the essence of redemption, this great love story. Praise the Lord. We understand that. I'm going to read this one scripture. And then we'll have to pick up with this uh, next Sunday. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law and are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. If the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, it says the blood of Jesus redeemed us, purchased or ransomed our life out of the curse of the law. The essence of the curse of the law, we may jump into this next week, but the essence of the curse of the law covers, encompasses three areas, poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. He, by his blood, has redeemed us from poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. They're not just limited things that we think about, but they encompass. Poverty is not just uh, 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 a lack of finances. Poverty is a mentality that you carry with you, right? Sickness is something that attacks the human body, but there's so many things that open up the door for sickness and disease. He's redeemed us from all of those things that sickness wouldn't come in. And spiritual death certainly encompasses the way that we walk our life without 
God, he's redeemed us from all of those things. He's redeemed us from that so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us who are in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus redeemed us from something which we're so grateful for, but he's redeemed us to something else. And sometimes we get stuck in that gap. We get caught in that wilderness of, man, I know I was redeemed and forgiven of my sin, but I'm hanging out here in the the wilderness area because I've not yet figured out what he's redeemed me to. Amen? And he's redeemed you to be blessed. He's redeemed you to walk in an original intent. He's redeemed you to have the intimacy of fellowship with him. He's redeemed you that in that intimacy of fellowship, you don't live bound by the guilt and the shame and the wounds and the hurts and the brokenness of your past, but that you live in and by the Spirit of God and that anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage and that supernatural anointing that is there to restore and to make whole. Jesus said, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and, he, and He's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's, he's anointed me by the Spirit of God to take everything that was shattered by life, that broke you up, that broke your heart, that separated, and bring it supernaturally and put it back together again as if it was never broken. Come on, we live in a day, and I know this, this. sometimes people get a little upset at me, and, and, and again, there's a testimony, and I'm glad for the testimony, and God will do it again, and, and we want to declare what God has done for us. But too often, we live in that and glory in that wound and that brokenness, and, and we want to remind people, say, look at what happened to me. Look what, broken, what, what, look what broke my life. Look at look what God will do, and when we say, look at what God will do, and we see, well, you're still cracked. You're still pretty broken. People are wondering, like, Okay, how is that different? But when we let the Holy Spirit put it all back together again, and we say, you don't understand how life, my past life broke me. And they go, you've never been broken. <laughs> you get to laugh and go, you think I was never broken. But that's the glory of it. You can't tell I was ever broken because when he put it back together again, he put it back like it was never broken in the first place. Come on. We all know that we were broken. Come on, anybody that looks at you, anybody that knows you, that knows me, knows you were broken at some point in life. But knowing that and saying, I'm not sure where you were broken. Could you show me just a little crack and say, you know what, I can't figure out because that's, I really don't want to talk about that person because that's not who I am anymore. That's the old person. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Power of the blood. Just stand up with me. Father, we thank you. We do praise you and we do magnify and we do glorify you for what you did on the cross for us. That that shedding of your blood opened the door for the remission, the absolute washing away of our sin. That once and for all, we could be free from it. No longer to return to yokes of bondage, religious bondage, bondages of sin, bondages of the desires and the lusts of the flesh, but that we could be free to see who we are in Christ Jesus and live in an extraordinarily different kind of life with a different quality of life, the quality of life that you've given to us that you declared was an abundant life superior life, an overflow of life, a super exceeding abundantly 
as your definition says, more and more and more, and then some more, and on top of that, some more life. We thank you for that. We glorify you. We magnify you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you walk with each one of us every single day. You're not just with us, but you're in us. You remind us of the things that we've heard, the things that you are endeavoring to impress upon our lives and our hearts from this word of God, from the things that you've shared with us, that we truly might walk in the light, the revelation of these things, and be overcomers in life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you